I hope your Bible is in hand. I encourage you to turn, if you would, to John 14. Leave your Bible open there. We're going to be there in just a moment. So if you can uh, turn to John 14. And we're going to look this morning at something specifically about Jesus and what Jesus does that I think is very telling. But before I get into that, I need to share something with you. And it's likely to change your opinion about somebody in our midst this morning. And that is Dustin Lammerman. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but Dustin Lammerman doesn't like soup. Dustin doesn't like soup. And it, and I find this interesting because we've now had two youth ministers in a row, both of whom didn't like soup. Peter Roberts didn't like soup. And so what I'm wondering is, I mean, Jonathan likes soup, I like soup, but I'm wondering what among those very young among us who in ministry, what the Bible colleges are doing to these people, that they don't like soup. This seems to be a pattern, and I think it's something that needs to change. Now, we've got something here. This is this is Campbell's soup. Okay, those of you who are online, you can see this is regular Campbell's chicken noodle soup. Every child, I think, in North America has probably eaten a can of Campbell's chicken noodle soup. I'm not sure it's the greatest soup in the world. And, in fact, I'm not sure that I can blame Dustin for not liking soup if, in fact, this is the only soup that Dustin ever ate. But this is not the only choice in terms of soup. So you could choose... Another kind of Campbell's. This is Campbell's chunky chicken noodle soup. It's better than this. This is okay. Maybe it's okay for kids, but this, this is actually worthy, I think, of a youth minister. He could eat Campbell's chunky chicken noodle soup, and maybe this would be a blessing to his life. But you know what? Soups are not all alike. And so if you really have a choice, what you need to do is you need to eat Robin Carter's chicken noodle soup. In fact, this is chicken and rice soup that she's made. I was going to eat it this morning, but it's not warm yet. And so I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to save it for lunch. But one of these days, I'm going to eat some Campbell's chicken noodle soup and compare it to Robin's chicken and rice soup. And I think her rice soup is going to blow Campbell's chicken noodle soup away. Dustin, you need to try Robin's soup. You're going to be blessed if you do. Not all soups, though are indeed equal. And it's not just with soups that it's like that. Right here we have currency. We have money. These are not the same. Simon, can you see what this is? What is that? It's a $20 bill. You're exactly right. What is that, Simon? It's a $10 bill. You're exactly right. They're both currency. They're both money. But the 20 and the 10 are not the same. Simon, if I said to you, which one would you like, the 20 or the 10, which one would you like? Absolutely. The the child is no dummy. The child is going to take the $20 bill because it's more than the $10 bill, and I can understand why he would choose it. Well, the fact is, is that theological things are like this. They're kind of the same. Theological things are theological things. But not all theological things, things in the Bible, doctrines, for instance, are to be weighted exactly the same. And so money is money is money is money, but 20 is more than 10. Soup is soup is soup is soup, but Campbell's is not the same thing as Robin Carter's. And doctrine, sometimes the things that we believe are in fact 
different, even though in some sense the same. And what I want to say this morning is that there are beliefs, teachings, truths, doctrines that if believed and followed actually get us through the most difficult times. These are like foundation stones that keep us absolutely grounded when everything else around us is falling apart. So this morning, I want to start with the teachings of Jesus, and specifically, teachings about himself. Because my thought is that when Jesus goes to teach something, when he's talking about himself and teaching about himself, his own coming into the world to reveal the Father, and even talking about the Spirit who comes, all of this is the most meaningful message, now get this, that the world has ever encountered. And so here's the claim. If Jesus of Nazareth is actually God in the flesh, his coming into the world, what he did while here, his teaching and ministry and revealing the Father, bringing salvation to humankind so that we can be in relationship with God, is in fact the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. In fact, I would say that nothing even comes close. Now, maybe some other mighty act of God or some other revelation perhaps could come close. But even with these, the book of Hebrews says that they're not quite like the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at various times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so it's Christ who sustains everything, specifically through what he's spoken. He holds everything together, his powerful word, his teaching. And I think what he says specifically about himself reveals God and God to us in a way that fills us with energy and life. And the text even says, holds everything together right when it looks like everything is falling apart. Now, you likely know what centrifugal force is. Miles is here this morning. Miles has a background in physics. Miles would know all about centrifugal force and centripetal force. If I was to take a bucket and fill it with water, I could actually tie a rope to the handle of that bucket and then swing that bucket around. And you can imagine why I didn't do this. I could swing that bucket around with water in it, and as long as I swung that bucket around fast enough, what would happen to the water? It would stay in the bucket. Exactly, it would stay in the bucket. And that's because of centrifugal force that keeps that water in the bucket. If I slow down, well, the water's going to come out. Well, the point is here that there are certain principles, certain rules that actually hold that water in the bucket. And just like some theological principles, they hold things together. And I would say that it's the teaching about Jesus that actually holds things together. There is a soup that's better than others. There is money that's more valuable than others. There's a force that can work to do something powerful, like hold water in a bucket right against gravity. And I would say that there are teachings about Jesus that actually hold things together and that will guide us and bless us in the most challenging times. So I want you to look at John chapter 14. We're going to read 5 through 11, verses 5 through 11, where Jesus has told the disciples that he's leaving. 
And Thomas, when Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you can't go yet, but I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, eventually you'll come. Thomas says, but Jesus, where are you going? And if, in fact, Thomas intimates that he doesn't understand how Jesus can really leave, and it disturbs him. So verse 5 says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and seen him. And so Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. No wonder it's his word that powerfully holds everything together. Because his word is not just his own. His word is his Father's word that he speaks with the authority of God. The Father, through the Son, spoke the world into existence, and his powerful word now holds everything together. One of the things I love about these verses is what Jesus does in verse 6. We're pretty familiar with this passage. We've talked before about how the expression, I am, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is actually the most powerful part of the statement. That's because God, in Exodus 3.14, when talking to Moses through the burning bush, and you'll remember that story, Moses goes, he's, he's going to be uh, going down into Egypt to free the uh, Israelite slaves. And Moses asks God through the burning bush, he says, well, what do I do? I, I'm going to go down there, and I'm, I have to tell them when they say to me, who is it that has sent you down here to do this? I've got to say something to them. <clears throat> so the Lord says to Moses, tell them, I am has sent you. And God actually takes for himself at that point that name. So when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, he is saying a lot more than just the fact that he's the way to God, the truth of God, and the life of everything. He is saying, and I would say this is all grounded in this passage in Exodus 3.14, but comes into the Gospel of John. He is saying, I am. And then he doesn't just do it there in John 14.6. He does the same thing in John 6.35 when he says, I am the bread of life. He does the same thing in John 8.12 when he says, I'm the light of the world. He does the same thing in John 10.9 when he says, I'm the gate for the sheep. He does the same thing in John 10.11 when he says, I'm the good shepherd. He does the same thing in John 11.25 when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He does the same thing in John 15.1 when he says, I am the true vine. And in Greek, every time that Jesus says, I am, he actually says it emphatically. Because the Greek actually says, I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the good shepherd. I, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what it says. So 
I don't see how there could be clearer statements about who Jesus thinks he is and what he's doing in our world. Unless, of course, you keep reading the Gospel of John. So when you flip to John chapter 8, verse 52, for example, it says, as they exclaimed, or at this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will taste will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. And if I said I didn't, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Come on. And very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, and we know this passage so well, before Abraham was born, I am. And it's the same expression. In many ways, it's, it's the clincher. And then look at verse 59. Do you know what they try and do after he says that? When Jesus says, I am, they then pick up stones to kill him. Why did they do that? Well, my point this morning is that this claim of Jesus to be I am is the most significant piece of information ever heard in the world. When these people heard this, they were so convinced he was lying about claiming to be God, which kind of makes sense. He was standing before them. How could he possibly be God? that they tried to kill him. If Jesus is, in fact, who he says he was, which I think is the challenge for us to believe, then nothing remains the same. If Jesus comes as God visiting us in the flesh, everything changes. All of life is completely altered by this. And not least, the lives of those living way off in the 21st century who are challenged by COVID-19 and by things falling apart south of the border and by our economy limping along. But Scripture says that Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. And he is, of course, the word. And so he is the truth. He himself provides this truth, a, a glimpse into who God is, and this becomes the glue that holds everything together, including our futures and our hopes and our dreams, our concerns. He meets the needs. So in John chapter 10, verses 22 through 33, it says this, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews who were gathered there around him, they were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The words I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life 
and they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Just think about the assurance there is, the confidence there is in knowing that we are the sheep of this one, the great shepherd. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Wow. They got it. They understood. And we need to understand. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. The assurance that comes with that statement. It's, it's life changing to know that in the midst of every crisis, he is absolutely in control. And notice what he says here. He says that you will receive eternal life. That's that Zoe word that we've looked at so many times. What does Zoe mean? It doesn't just mean living, it means life. And this is what Jesus says he gives us because he comes from the Father. And so the Father is greater than all. And Jesus is from the Father. And they are one, holding all things together. They're holding us to themselves. And they are all about sustaining us. There is no truth greater than this grounding and founding that we have in the truth that Jesus has come as God in the flesh to save humankind as the good shepherd. We live in hard times, but they are not the hardest times the world has ever seen. You know, it was worse for Christians when lions and wild dogs were tearing them apart in the arena. It was worse when Nero burned them as torches in his gardens. It's been worse recently when Nigeria's Boko Haram gunned Christians down as they left church on Sunday morning. What has sustained these people? going through such hardship. Is it not the truth that Jesus taught us about himself, that he is the I am? Is that not what's going to sustain us? I believe it is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for coming into our world, for revealing to us the Father, for for being God in the flesh, willing to do what you did to endure your own difficult times in order to lift us out of them and give us strength when in their midst. Bless us through this difficult time, this teaching about you, that it keeps us rooted, founded, grounded, and secure. We praise you that we have this message from you and that indeed it does give us strength.
We pray these things through Christ. Amen.